0: Glad you're here this morning. I'm sure it was tough to get up. You were probably pretty busy between 2 and 3 in the morning this past morning, so I'm glad you're here. And I'm just going to tell you straight up, because I know some of you may be new, (laughs) you've been here for a while, but the Bible is going to hit hard today. And I'm telling you, rather than be dismissive, let's do this. Let's let the Holy Spirit do His work. And if you've never studied the Bible before, rather than saying it's not relevant, just at least consider what it has to say. Okay? There's no protest today, okay? Let's see what it has to say. I want to start out by telling you something a little bit personal about myself. Um, I sometimes like to watch movies. It's true. But I do not like to watch kid movies. So for those of you who like kid movies, that is not me. I, I used to like to watch kid movies when I like first had my first couple of kids. and So I took my son, Elijah, he's like 19 now, I took him to see Prince of Egypt when he was a baby. And I thought, this is great. I'm going to take my kids to see kid movies. And I took him to see Monsters, Inc. But it, with each kid I've had, I've gotten... Uh, irritated by the movies and quite bored. And and I don't want to offend anybody. So like now I go to the movies and I just, I sleep with my kids are watching. I'm sleeping. (laughs) I'm sure Coco was a good movie. I couldn't tell you because I'm just sleeping. All right. But I, I want to admit one thing and I'm not even joking about this. I just want to admit sometimes the songs in these movies really motivate me. I'm not joking. I, I really find them motivating. For for example, you know the movie Frozen. You ever heard of that one? Maybe there's this song called "Let It Go." All right. So I'm gonna. Uh, here's the deal. There's this princess. You don't care DF, do I'm gonna tell you anyway. There's this princess Elsa. She's so she's finally striving to be what she was meant to be, and she sings this song. She you know the song. It says, it, it's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go. Let it go. And I'm thinking, that's really good. I want to test the limits of who I was made to be. So I, I get into that song. And then there's the the song by Moana called How Far I'll Go. And I'm like, oh, that's another good one, isn't it? She's living on an island with all of the uh, the people that are really content. But, man, she just... She feels called to live out her destiny on the sea. And so she sings, see the line where the sky meets the sand. It calls me and no one knows. Thank you, see. I'm not crazy, all right, so so she motivates me. She gets me pumped to set off on this, this great adventure. I mean, for real. And the idea behind these songs is that there is this identity in me that is all bottled up, but the tension is rising, and and it must be released, and I want to be who I've been made and created to be. And and the thing is is that I, I guess that every single one of you, from time to time, feels that same tension, without the theme songs. Can you imagine... You're commuting in to the city on the train. I mean, some of you have ex- felt this and you're thinking to yourself, what am I doing with my life? Is this what I want my life to be about? Commuting on the train in the city back and forth. And, and sometimes you just want to stand up and, and sing about your destiny. And maybe even dance, right? Because there's something inside of you. And what these songs and these movies are about are, are, are something we all feel. And it's the issue of identity and Calling. And the identity is, who am I? And the calling is, what have I been created to do? Who am I? And what have I been created to do? And most people answer that question, both of them, by trying to figure out their core identity and calling. And where do they look? They look inside themselves. What is in me? Who am I? But the Bible says, okay, if you want to find yourself, don't look outside of yourself for identity and calling, because in order to find yourself, you must look outside yourself. So rather than looking inside, in order to find yourself, you must look outside yourself. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you've repented and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, your identity, according to the Bible, is that you are in Christ, Your old life is dead, but now you're a new creation in Christ. In Christ, you're righteous in God's eyes. You're safe from his wrath. You're free from the controlling power of sin. You're loved, you're full, and you have all that you need for life in godliness. If the identity question is answered to those who are in Christ, then what about the calling question? If you are a follower, you say, my identity is in Christ. Well, well, what about the calling question? What were you made to do? What is God's will for your life? What did he create you and save you to do? If we got the identity nailed down, what now? What shall you do? And that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's go. Let's turn back to the book of Colossians. Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. been go into this book written by this guy named the Apostle Paul and we find ourselves in Colossians chapter 3. And before we preach through the text, I want to read it to you. So let's go ahead and stand. Colossians 3, starting in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self, with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge at the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, scadian, slave, free, but Christ is all in it all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. What is going on here in this church in Colossae? It's a healthy church, but it has been infiltrated by false doctrine, false teaching. And the Apostle Paul, who's a leader of many of these churches, is... Teaching the church to stay rooted in Christ, for he is supreme, but he is also sufficient. And by the time we come to chapter 3, what he's going to do, he's going to link thinking and behavior. He's going to say, think rightly, live rightly. And part of the thinking rightly is to understand your identity in Jesus Christ. Once again, if you've repented and put your faith in, In Christ, what's the reality? You are forgiven because of his sacrifice, burial, resurrection. You are filled with his righteousness in the sense that God views you as perfectly righteous and you're becoming more holy as you live your life. You accept it, you love. That is your identity. So think rightly, right? Set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth. Set your hearts on things above, not on things. Remember that last week? We talked about your core identity and calling as an accepted child of God in Christ. So that's the thinking rightly. Now it comes time to live rightly. What does that look like? We have the identity piece. But now we're moving on to the calling piece. And what we're going to see over and over again through this section is that now your identity should produce action. Align whatever you do with who you are. As one has said, you are, now be. You got it? You are, now be. You are in Christ's identity. So that means you don't have to produce for love and acceptance. You don't have to crank A's for love and acceptance. Yeah? You don't have to have the, the highest level in your employment for love. You don't have to be even employed for love and acceptance. You have that in Christ. So now that's your identity, what is the calling piece? What is the doing piece? So listen before we get into any career specifics of your life or who you're going to marry or whether or not you're going to be having children and where you're going to move or not move or what college you'll go to or what grad school, I know these are all things that we want to know. God, what is the future? Tell me what I'm supposed to do. Before we get to any of that, we must start with what is revealed. Yeah? Where has God already spoken? If you're eager to obey his future will for you, you must be just as eager to obey his present will for you. And we know his present will is revealed through his word. And this morning, that will will be summarized by this, put to death sin and put on love. Put to death sin and put on love. Now, for those of you who who hear me saying you've got to uh, put to death sin and be loving in order to go to heaven. No, no, no. Remember, remember, remember? We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. Identity will produce obedience. Put to death sin. Put on love. Now get ready. You're going to hear a lot of hard stuff in this passage. But get ready. You're loved. All right? You're loved. Don't freak out. All right? Let's do it. Put to death sin start with verse five put to death therefore what is earthly in you sexual morality impurity passion evil desire and covetousness which is idolatry if you're a believer you've been killed crucified and raised to new life in christ yet you're still on this earth and you have the remnants of your old life still hanging around, right? We still have desires to sin. For those of you who think, once you become a Christian, you'll never have a desire to sin, that's not the case. There's still these temptations and desires to sin. And the Apostle Paul says, the Word of God says, put that to death. A a famous uh, theologian of the past, he said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And I want to be a little less spiritual and quote the great singer Pink, and she said, I'm a hazard to myself. Don't let me get me. So you have to get aggressive in dealing with sin in your life. And and part of that putting to death, it's really clear here, is in the area of sexual morality. Did you see the five descriptors in verse 5? Did you see it? It talks about sexual morality, impurity, and passion, which is lust, evil desires with an inward bent toward immorality, and even covetousness, which means one is greedy for more immorality. This passage here is it's like the sexual morality is ratcheted up to include more deviancies. So it's almost like you would say pornography is not enough, but now it must include scenes of abuse and involve children, right? So that's, that's what's happening. It's a ratcheting up of sexual morality. And the Bible calls this idolatry. And these passions and these lusts and, and actions must be put to death. So if you find these in you, these desires in you, there are temptations, and they start to manifest, you've got to put them to death. And you say, well, what do you mean put them to death? Give me an example. Okay. Let's ask Jesus. Jesus, I'm struggling with lust. What should I do? And Jesus would say, let me tell you. And he'll say this in Matthew 5, 29 through 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin... Cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Who's first? Yeah? These are pretty extreme. I know he's speaking in extreme forms. Not that he wants you to actually poke and cut, but he wants you to take aggressive measures against sin. So it may seem strange to cut off access, to sexual morality through technology. But if that seems extreme for you, and if that's your struggle, just think about cutting your hand off. Yeah? It, may, it may seem extreme to, to not go to those places where you may be tempted to lust, but think about poking out your eyes. You see, if you're not extreme with sin, I and mean, Jesus says it, and the passage says it here, if, you're, if you don't care, about dealing with sin in your life the Bible is very clear that judgment awaits. Look at verse 6. Verse 6. On account of these the wrath of God is coming. In these two you once walked and when you were living in them. So two reasons are given to put sexual immorality to death. You see it there. It says God's wrath is aimed at those who live this way and it's your old way. Let's just be blunt from the Bible. It says it over and over again. Like, Those who continue in these sins <laughs> will face the burning wrath of God in hell. You're like, well, that sounds harsh. It sounds mean. Because in our day and age, it seems like no one goes to hell anymore, right? I mean, you never see at a funeral and say, man, they are in hell. It seems like no one goes to hell anymore. And then has the Bible changed? The Bible's still the same. And it still speaks over and over again about if you are not being faith in Christ to forgive your sin, and you see the manifestation of continuing and ongoing and habitual sin in your life, were you ever saved in the first place? Look at Ephesians 5. I'll put it up for you. Check this out. Paul says again in this passage, he says, don't go back to your old way of life. Watch this. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolatry, idolatry, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God, you see it there, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And you may be confused. You go, well, does that mean Christians never sin in these ways? Oh no, we we do. But but the key that you'll find throughout the whole Bible is that the Christian doesn't habitually live in sexual immorality, but desires to repent and and put these things in their lives to death. It doesn't mean you won't be tempted and maybe even sometimes fall, but are you eager to repent? Are you grieved over your sin? Are you finding forgiveness in the cross of Christ? And if that's you, that, that's good. You want to be grieved over your sin and find forgiveness in Christ. But know this. That's not the new you. The new you, right? Identity in Christ. If you keep going back to your old way, that's your old way of living. Let me put up another passage. This is another good one. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. This is what it says. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And here's the key point, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God." It's like that's the way you used to live but now you've been redeemed don't live that way anymore and it's a progressive growing in christ i've not hidden the fact from you uh, that my early days my teen years were spent in sexual immorality deep and i became a follower of christ at 19 and when i started following christ at 19 i felt so convicted of my sin and found forgiveness in his death and burial and resurrection. And then that started this progressive uh, putting sexual morality to death that still continues in my life today. It's not like I put it to death back then and I don't do it anymore and I'm still putting sexual morality to death. But at the beginning, when I first became a Christian, within the first year, year and a half or two, it was like this heightened fight where I thought, ain't no way this is never gonna go anybody ever feel like that you're like man this is never gonna leave i'm gonna be dealing with this the rest of my life it's never gonna go and and that's kind of those feelings i was having and so i to just be very specific and blunt with you i I was battling against the three s's sex skin and self-abuse the sex obviously with another person the skin would be pornography and the self-abuse would be masturbation and what I found is that these dropped off one by one. And I would say to you, for those of you who feel, feel like you can never get out, by God's grace you can start having some progress and moving in the direction of putting sexual immorality to death. And if you think there is some certain key our principle, I'm going to tell you, that goes beyond the basic stuff, you're wrong. You just got to start doing the basic stuff. You got to be around believers. You got to get some accountability. You got to be in the Word. You got to be in prayer. Maybe even fasting. You got to be serving others. I mean, this is not magical stuff. There are practical ways where you can start putting this to death and have freedom. We're not done. Let's keep going. Verse 8. But now you must put them all away. Here's something else. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Do you see that the put the death language is now described as put them all away? You see that? Verse 8, put off the old self. in verse 9. Paul keeps linking identity and calling. You have a new identity in Christ, so now put off the old ways. Once again, you are, now be. Now look at the vices in verse 8. There's six more vices that are mentioned here that that have to do with harmful and abusive speech. Anger, wrath, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, and lying. These are harmful words that, that come within us and they spew out of our mouth. And, and Jesus is very clear in Matthew fifteen eighteen. He says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. Whatever you're dealing with in the, the language that you're spewing at someone else, just know that it's, it's starting in your heart. But the Word of God says you have a new identity and now you must live out that new identity which should affect what you say, your tongue, as you're putting away and putting off abusive speech and harmful speech, but you are renewing your mind and now your speech is starting to bless and encourage others. Now here's the point I don't want you to miss because some of you will just gloss over this and say, okay, I don't, that's fine, I'll try to work on my words. Look at the context of where this passage is. It's in the context of a diverse community of believers. Look at verse 12. I'm sorry, verse 11. This is the context. Here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, scathian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Here you can think of those who are opposites of one another as Greeks and Jews. And between the Greeks and Jews, there there was great animosity against one another. But now in the community of the church, they all have been created this one new identity in Christ. It's not that their backgrounds are obliterated, but the core identity is in Christ. And for us at EBF, that means... There must be no racial or ethnic slander, no wrath directed at a certain people group, and and no obscene talk aimed at certain segments of the congregation because Christ is all and in all. On Friday, I I read this article um, from the New York Times, and the article was titled, Why Black Worshippers are leaving white evangelical churches. Now you can read it later on your own for all the details. Um, it's mainly a story about what happened in a predominantly white megachurch in Texas, which is, the church is not too far from where my in-laws live in Texas. So I'm familiar with that church. But it's a really discouraging article because... It's, it's not only that what, is, what was the experience of African-American worshipers in this white church. It, it, that They, they experience that almost like dismissive things. Dismissive things were said to black worshipers about their experience in life. But if you also read the article, you'll see that in addition, there was outright derogatory and racist things that were said to them. How can that be? Are, are you reading Colossians 3 and what should come out of your mouth in this context? That there must be no racial or ethnic slander, no wrath directed at certain people group, and no obscene talk aimed at certain segments of the congregation, because Christ is all and is in all. We must examine our hearts and our minds and what comes out and the way we, we view one another and, not, and not, maybe not listen to one another and not love one another. And those things we need to put to death. Put to death sin. And now we flip to the next part. Put on love. Here's some of the positive things that you can do. I'm putting on love. Put to death sin. Now put on love. Verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Oh, I like this. We're identified the same way as the Old Testament. Saints were identified. We're called, you see in verse 12, we're called the chosen ones, holy, and beloved. In Christ, we're chosen by God and and set apart for him in love. And out of this, once again, new identity comes action of compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, forgiving one another. And ultimately, it's love that that binds everything together in perfect harmony. This past uh, two or three months ago, I don't usually hardly ever make New Year's resolutions uh, but I decided um, to make a New Year's resolution. And I, I've not been good at New Year's resolutions because I don't really make them, don't really care. A few years back, I made one resolution. My family knows this. I made a New Year's resolution that every single day I would drink Coke. I kept that one for two years. It's awesome. But this time around, I decided to be a little bit more productive, and I made a resolution. I mean, this is going to sound super spiritual, and I hope you view me that way as your pastor. I thought, you know, this time around, I want to be more loving. Isn't that great? You ever just say that? I just want to be more loving. Well, good for you. What does that mean? Like, if somebody ever says that to you, I just want to love you. It's like, give me some specifics how are you going to love me and how can you express love? Give me some specific. Do not say I want to be more loving. Tell me how. And so I'm going to tell you how for me and maybe tell you how for you. So for starters, I think, if you really want to love one another, I think that with in this church, if you want to express love, I think it means bearing with those in this church that you might not naturally want to be around. Maybe they don't want to be around you <laughs> and you don't want to be around them. Well, it's time to bear with one another in love and not just kind of put up with one another but actually love one another. And I think loving actually means practical love for those who are hurting, those who are vulnerable, whether it's, it's those who are senior citizens or vulnerable children or everybody in between, like actually doing something for those who are vulnerable. And let's, let's get real practical. If there's any moms in here or dads, that got up during the middle of the night with your baby, that's love. If there's anybody in here that gets up when their roommate is sick, needs some help at night because they're sick, that's love. For those of you in this messed up time change who came this morning and moved stuff in here and set stuff up, that's love. These are practical ways to show love. And love is displayed in being patient and long-suffering Maybe someone that you're having a hard time with, like your your spouse. I was talking to my friend on the phone the other day. His name's Anthony. He's my childhood friend. Get this. We're both approaching 50 in a few years. Calls me. He he was like almost call me every single day. And we we have fun together. And I'm like, Anthony, what are you doing with your life? He goes, I'm working at a bank. I said, What's your wife doing? He said, getting on my nerves. So that's nice. <laughs> but we have these experiences where those who are closest to us are like, we irritate one another. But how can we love each other? How can we be patient with one another? How can we suffer long with one another? Whether it's our parents and our kids. That's what we're good at. Be specific. Let's keep going. Verse 15 and 16. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. All right, these two verses carry two great realities. You see it there, it says, let the peace of Christ rule with thankfulness. Let the word of Christ dwell with thankfulness. I think for most of us, we can understand, okay, what does it mean to let the word of Christ dwell? I think most of us understand, okay, we take the word, we put it in us, we admonish one another, we encourage one another, we sing awesome worship songs, and basically we're just generally letting the word permeate our congregation. We get that, right? That's Let the peace of Christ, let the, the, let the, the word of Christ dwell. Okay, we get that, but what about the peace of Christ? What does it mean to let the peace of Christ, the peace of peace of Christ dwell? What does that mean? Well, I'm going to explain it to you. When we talk about the peace of Christ ruling, it's got the idea of an umpire. You know, you, you think of an umpire who's supposed to control like a baseball game. So your your heart is to be controlled with the peace of Christ. Now, I, well, in the past, I've been an umpire. back Back in the day, when I finished at high school, about to start college, I was I was umpiring at the YMCA, and I was um, umpiring uh, kindergarten softball. It was awesome, and. I was supposed to be the one who had control of the game, and it was chaos. The kids would hit the ball, and rather than run to first, they would run to third. I have no idea why they would do that. And I'm supposed to control them and get them to run the right direction. When a ball is hit to the field, the kids would just all clump up and fight over it. And then sometimes when they would bat, they had no concept of dropping the bat, and so they'd bat and fling the bat And I, was the umpire, was supposed to have control over this game of chaos. That's the lingo we got going here, that the peace of Christ is to be like an umpire in your life. Are you letting it rule? Like if I said to you right now, are are you at peace with what's going on in your life? And some of you are like, I'm so anxious, and I keep running to third. Yeah? You're just anxious. You're running around. Or maybe or maybe you're fighting with others. You're not getting your way. You're not getting the ball. You're not getting what you want. Peace of Christ is not ruling. Or maybe you're flinging your bag. You're throwing fits. You're angry. You're expressing wrath. There's no peace of Christ. So when you find yourself running around here and there, you have to stop and go, okay, Christ, <laughs> he's my Lord, and he's sovereign over my life. And I'm going to let his peace, who he is, he's my peace, that's my identity, let him rule and reign over me. And in turn, I'm going to be thankful and let that peace spread out of me. And then Paul sums it up. Look at the last verse, verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. There it is. Out of your identity, do all centered on Christ with thanksgiving. Out of your identity, say all centered on Christ with thanksgiving. And so we go back to the identity piece. We say, okay, who am I? Who am I? Who are you, huh? Well, your identity is in Christ. Do not look inside yourself for identity, but look outside yourself at Christ. And the calling question is, what have i been created to do well be who you are in christ you are and now be now let's go back to this figuring out your future i'm about to try to help you okay here's some career counseling maybe (laughs) some coaching advice perhaps you want that what is god's will for your future i know some of you are trying to figure this out, and summer is approaching fast. Some I mean, of you're gonna graduate. What are you gonna do? You have no idea. It's time for transitions. What are you gonna do? I don't know. And what do you do? You want, God, tell me, would you love it? Tell me your will for me. Tell me where I'm gonna go to school. <laughs> tell me where I'm gonna live. Tell me who I'm gonna marry. Tell me about my kid. Tell me, tell me and what you're doing. You spend a lot of your time asking for God to reveal His will to you. Yeah? lot of you, yeah, tell me your will, God. And sometimes, listen very carefully, you want God to lead you on the specifics of what's next, but you're not willing to obey him on his specifics of what's now. So many of you are saying, God, what's next? God, what's next? God tell me what is next? Tell me, God, please tell you reveal it to me. What's next? And God's word's like, what about now? I revealed to you right now on this Sunday morning about walking in purity, about loving other people, about forgiving. I was just, can you imagine from God's perspective, right? Here's God's perspective, okay? I don't know what his perspective is, but I can see it from his work. Just imagine, he's hearing your prayers. Come to him, and you're praying, God, show me what to do. Show me, just show me. And he hears all these prayers. And if he could speak to you, he's like, you want me to tell you about what's next for your life, my will, what's next, and you're not even obeying what I've already revealed to you right now. I mean, think about it. From God's perspective, why should he tell you what's next? You don't have to get to a place of absolute perfection, but if you're in this habitual, ongoing sin, it's not going to be made clear to you. Everything's going to be muddled. If you you harbor bitterness in your heart and, and anger, you don't want to forgive, and yet you want God to tell you what's next, why should he tell you about what's next when you're not dealing with what's now? So how about this? Maybe put the what's next prayers on hold for a while. And say, okay, God, you've already revealed your will to me. It's clear enough. Let's deal with what's now. And some of you, I mean, just to put it in just these terms, I'd never say this, but some of you just need to get right with God. You're just not right with God. You're doing your thing. And you want God to bless you, but you're not right with God. You need to pull back and have some time of like, okay, what is going on? And sometimes a confession, turning away from your sin, and finding forgiveness in the cross of Christ. Maybe for the first time. And for those of you who have totally fixed it on the future and not what God wants you to do right now, maybe you need to repent of that as well. Say, God, forgive me for overlooking my life with you right now. And let's just do that now. Let's do it right now. Let's not wait till later. Let's do that right now. Let's talk to God through Jesus right now. Let's pray. Lord, let us know that when you say hard things, it's not because you hate us; it's because you love us. And many of us are so fixated on, on what's next that we are harming ourselves right now. In the present, we're caught up in stuff we shouldn't be doing. Maybe that's an anger and rage at other people. Maybe it's bitterness even sexual immorality. Right now where you're at, whatever you want to say to God, maybe for the first time, maybe you want to get right with God, you want to say, God, I, I, I need you, Jesus, to forgive me my sins. I need you, Jesus, to change me. It's all about grace. Whatever you want to say to him right now, feel free to, to pray quietly and talk to him. Lord, help us to hear you today and walk with you today. Not next week, not next month, not the summer, not next, right now, help us to walk with you today. And we ask this in Christ's name, amen.